Our sermon text this morning is from Jude 1, verses 8 to 13. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain in Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Jude, the book of Jude. It's that one page right before Revelation, near the end. I'll go ahead and pray while you're turning there. Heavenly Father, we are spiritual beggars. We, we have nothing. We have, we have nothing to offer you except the, the sin that makes this glorious salvation necessary. God, that, that's all that we have. But all that we have, we bring to you and we ask that you would take it away. That through this text, you would take away our pride. That you would take away restlessness of our hearts, God. Any desire to be great as we see here. God, let us not only be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. We be leaving here and faithful to apply to our lives through your spirit, the word that you have before us. So God, please be with us as we cast ourselves before you and ask that you would be glorified through the redemption of our souls and through the changing of our hearts and through the lifting of our eyes unto your glory. Amen. Isn't it rather interesting how towns can develop their own identity? You uh, grew up in California and you know that Gilroy, California, and immediately you're thinking of garlic for some reason, but you are. Or you go to Napa, up the road a little bit, and you're going, oh, this is wine, this is really good wine. Or you go to Kona, Hawaii, and what are they known for? The beach is a little bit. But they're coffee. Really, really, really good coffee. So these towns will develop their own identity, whether it's even factual or true or not, but they just buy into it and go along with it. And so, like, here in town, we have this little thing called mayo. It just kind of looms over us. Even if you don't work there, it's just kind of, it's there. And you, and you know it. 
And you know it. While we were living in, in uh, Louisville, it was a city that was, it was, let's be honest, it was racially divided. They had race rights in the 60s and the city was divided and it was still divided. You see that ongoing today. But there was one thing that would just bring the city together in this fervor of, of desire and anticipation. And it's the Derby. And so at about a month in advance, March Madness would end, and then right away they would start talking about the Derby, and, and they had all the pomp and the circumstances about the, the Derby pie, and their, their massive hats, and nobody knows why they wear them. They're not practical at all, but these massive hats and, and all of the outfits that they would have, and all of this, it would just last for two minutes, the race. All of this build up for, for two minutes, and to be honest, it's, it's the Kentucky Derby, so it's for the best of the best. But to be honest, it's not really that hard. All you do, all you do is you get on the horse, and if you're a really, really good jockey, you just get out of the way and let the horse do the work, right? It's the same thing we see here in our text this morning. If you're going to contend for the faith, what do you do? Well, yeah, you're, you're doing your little bit, but what do you do? You get out of the way and you let the Lord do all of the work. So that's what we're going to see here in our text is we're, we're going through Jude and we're seeing this idea of contending for the faith. How do we do that? Do we pick up um, arms? Do we pick up pitchforks? What do we do? How do we contend for the faith? Well, we're going to see here in our text. We should. We should be contending for the faith, but you let the Lord do the work. So, contend for the faith by, this is how you do it. Contend for the faith by letting the Lord do the work. Here, look in verse 8, and we're going to see this. We ha- you have to get a good foundation. These people that, you're, that, that are being maligned and, and, and pressed against and pressed down by Jude, saying, don't do them, they don't have a good foundation. So, one, get yourself a good foundation. We'll talk about what that is. Uh, the second part here is verses 9 to 10. Let the Lord contend. The Lord will contend for himself. And then finally, finishing it out, verses 11 through 13, is the sure judgment that will come upon those people. So, get yourself a good foundation if you're going to contend for the faith. Second, let the Lord do the work. Third, we can let the Lord do the work because we know He will bring sure and swift judgment upon those who are maligning his people and steering his his sheep away. So, let's go back to the text here in verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, what do they do? They defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme, blaspheme the glorious ones. So when you're reading the text here, you see these first couple of verses, yet... In like manner, these people also. So Jude is linking this directly with the verses right above, which Adam was preaching on last week. So we have this in likewise manner. So he's he's saying this out of uh, this this rebellion of the Egyptians. In the same way, these people are doing it. We have this um, deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And three days later, they're grumbling. Before the Lord, because they don't have water. Admittedly, we would all probably all be grumbling as well if we didn't have water. And you walk in the dead desert for three days. But in the likewise manner, so these people are, are murmuring and, and grumbling like those who are being brought out of Egypt. Likewise, are the angels, as Adam was preaching about, they're created 
who want to have seen the goodness and the glory of God. And yet for them, there is no redemption. When they fall, there is no redemption. That's why Peter is saying, regarding your salvation, that is, it is the things to which angels long to look. And then also, they're like Sodom and Gomorrah, these, these false teachers. They twist and pervert the, this gift of sexuality. They twist it and they pervert it. And that which is supposed to glorify God, what do they do? They twist it and then they use it for their own ends and their own needs. And that's a common theme that you'll see without the, with these false teachers. The glory that should have been given to God, they will twist it, water it down a little bit, and then direct it right back at themselves. And they're going to siphon off all of this glory that should be going to God. We'll see also that they, they enrich themselves off the humble work of advancing the kingdom. So for these teachers, they, they have one foundation and, and three different actions here. They have one foundation. You look at it. What are they doing? What are they relying on their dreams? It's, it's, um, these, these teachers that are reefs below the waters that will shipwreck your soul. What do you see them doing? They're relying upon their own dreams. Their own imaginations. They're not prophets receiving the word of the Lord and then delivering it out. No, but they're, they're building their foundation upon their own dreams, upon their own desires. And inevitably it twists back at them. But when you should be building the church upon the word of God. And then when that happens, you have the glory being given to God and only to God. But no, they will twist it and have themselves and their own desires as the foundation. So just brothers and sisters, as a church, we must be continually refining ourselves and this body according to the word of God. Not our own desires. How many families, how many marriages have you seen shipwrecked in 20 minutes? Because someone's following their own dream, their own dreams, their own desires. In 20 minutes, you can end friendships, you can end a marriage, you can shipwreck your faith. Because you're just being yourself. You're following your desires and your dreams. You want to follow your own path. And the end result is that you will make yourself into God. And you will be worshipped, even if it's just you worshipping yourself. So don't be carried along by these dreams. Your, your heart and your mind and your imagination is far more corrupt than you could ever imagine. So be, be tethered down, be tied down by the word of God when you're being tempted. And then by the word of God, be propelled forward. When you find yourself not following the word, the things that God has for you. Continually, don't be relying upon your own dreams or your lack of contentment that you might have rumbling up within yourself. It doesn't matter. Conform yourself to the image of Christ through His Word. Okay, so they will build themselves up. They were relying on their dreams. But what do they do? Well, they desire, they defile the flesh, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They will defile the flesh. Let's not, not be... Let us not be deceived. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture. And for many in this room, just this past week, it's gone from your eyes, from your phone to your eyes, to your mind, and into your heart. Don't be naive to how Satan will tempt you through this. So they defile the 
the flesh, like Sodom and Gomorrah, they reject authority just like these fallen angels. They wanted to subvert the authority and glory of God. Or they were blaspheme the glorious ones. A blaspheme is just to speak ill of, not claim to be God, uh, but just to speak ill of. So like the, the murmuring Israelites as they're wandering around for those 40 years. That's just like these false teachers that you see. So rather than speaking ill of God, Turn the reverence to him. But inevitably, it's inevitable. If you build all of this, if you build your faith, if you build your life, if you build even your career upon your own desires and your own dreams, it's going to shipwreck. The, the, the foundation is nothing. It's a piece of paper. And you're going to build your life upon that or it's going to fail you. And it's going to fail you when you think you're reaching the top. And then it's going to topple. Sure, it can sustain you down here and you'll, you'll be fine. Sure. But right when you think things are going well, then it'll catch up with you and you will topple. All right. So we see that we should be contending for the faith and we should not be um, relying upon our own dreams, but rather building it upon the word of Christ. Okay. So I want to do this. I'm signed up. I just don't know what to do. I want to contend with the faith, but I just don't know what to do. How do I do it? Let's go back to the text here and read uh, verses 9 and 10. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. All right, let's just get the weirdness out of the way. What is this? What is happening here, right? Go back to um, Deuteronomy 34. And verse 4, it says here, this is right at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses is being brought up on the top of the mountain. He's going to look over the Jordan, keep looking uh, looking west and looking into the promised land. But he won't be able to go into there because of God's due judgment about him and his anger and striking the rock rather than speaking to the rock. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 34 here in verse 4. The Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, or in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Beor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So, Here's a riddle. Moses is on the mountain by himself. He dies, but he's buried. What's happening? Uh, there's, there's two ways to understand this here, what, what Jude is referring to. Uh, number one, either this is a, 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 a just kind of a, a traditional story, which Jude is referring to for uh, uh, illustrative purposes. So I'll, I'll refer to the story that you know of that's common, and then you'll know, oh, okay, because the main point is what Michael is saying. That's option one. Option two is that you say, well, it might not have been canonical. It was true, 
might not have been canonical, uh, but it is now, because Jude wrote it down. Either way, you can vacillate, as I have over this week, uh, where it lands. It doesn't really change the meaning of the text, but those are kind of the two options. Either it's a traditional story that the people well knew of, and, and Jude is using it for illustrative purposes, or... Um, it was true, but just not written down, and now it is, and now we have it. But, here's, kind of here's the scene of what's going on. So Michael, uh, we admittedly know very little, very, very, very little about the angelic realm and what's all happening here. But you go to Daniel, and you see that Michael is the chief of the princes of these angels. He has charge over the people of God. He's the protector of the people of God in Daniel 12. And to be honest, he's probably the type of guy, uh, um, or Michael, I mean, um, Michael is probably the type of guy where he appears before you in all of his strength and all of his radiance. Remember, Moses goes into the, the uh, up the mountain, he sees Christ, or he sees God, and his face is radiant, and he goes down to the mountain, the people are freaking out. Imagine someone who's been in the full presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever, as long as since he was created. He'd probably the type of angel or type of guy he would come down in here and we'd be like John in chapter 22 of Revelation where you just kind of bow down and start worshiping him. And he goes, no, you, you, you fool, stand up, stand up. No, I'm just an angel. I'm just an angel. This is probably that type of guy. If you saw him, you would be thinking, I need to worship this, whatever that is. And he would say, no, 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 lift up your eyes. There's, there's another. So here he is contending with Satan for the body of, of Moses. And, and here is, is Jude's way of keying you in here. He's bringing up that key word of contending again. He's contending with, uh, with the Satan for the body of Moses. And nobody did not do. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. He's not going to do to them what they, what was done to by them. It makes sense. They're the ones who blaspheme. That's what they do. And just because they do it doesn't mean that we would be justified in doing it to them. No, so he doesn't do that. We see also that he's, um, he's, he's cast Satan out of heaven. Daniel 10. He's contending with him already. But he doesn't, he doesn't do that. How does he contend with Satan? Because once we know how to contend with Satan, it would be really easy to contend with these false teachers. How do we contend with Satan? He just said in the end of verse 9, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. It's the, the victory is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's and the victory will come through Him. Look in Joshua in, in chapter 1. Or Joshua chapter 6. Or in chapter 1 he says, Be strong and courageous, strong and courageous, for the Lord your God shall be with you. And then in Joshua chapter 6 he says, They're going to Jericho. And he says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I, I the Lord, have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Okay. But you, you shall march. I will give you battle. I will give you victory through this battle. But you, your job is to march around. Also, later on in the kingdom, Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat. This is spoken to him. He said, listen, all the Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. 
And do not be dismayed at this great, this great battle, this great army that is before you. For the battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Next verse. Tomorrow, go down against them. Same thing. Contend for the faith. Yes, yes, we do it. But what? Well, the Lord will do it for you. Do we sit back idly back and let the Lord just contend for the faith? No. That's how churches die from internal rot. is because they don't do that. Contend for the faith and rely on the Lord to do that. To bring it. This is what we see with Christ when he's being tempted by, by Satan. In Matthew's account. Satan comes to him and he says, God, I could just turn these stones into bread. Just, just do that. And Christ says, no, it is not, no, no, I shall not. It is, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is Christ contending with Satan, right? And he says, no, okay, well just, here, here's this, the temple. Go to the temple. Go to the top of the temple. Cast yourself down. Will you? Your scripture says, is it not, that you'll be rescued in promise. You, you'll be rescued and the people will praise you for it. You don't have to go to the way of the cross. Ah, but it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's contending with Satan. And Satan comes to him again. It says, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Bow down. And worship me. And look around. And I'll give you everything. Seems foolish. But how often do we fall. Prey to that same temptation. Oh just look around. Do do whatever it takes to obtain it. Publish that next paper. Get that raise. Go up another level. Just give in just, just a little bit. But no, what is he, how does he, how does he contend? It is written, it is written, it is written, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So as you contend for the faith, know that it is the Lord who will rebuke. And it is the Lord who will have victory and sure victory. Okay. So, practical way. This plays out in your life. We'll talk about it a little bit more at the end, but just to plant the seed, I guess, is who changes people? Is it you or is the Spirit of God working through you? This has implications in how you approach this through your families, your church, relationships. It flips everything upside down. All right. So what do we see through our text so far? The past is the present. The temptations of people in the former times is the same temptations that people nowadays fall prey to. Rebellion against authority, lust, greed. I mean, that pretty much sums up uh, 90% of things that shipwreck people's faith. Those past sins are in the present, okay? And, they, and also know that the evil one, he's tempting them, but it's never done in isolation. You see that? It's not as though there's one wayward gentleman in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. No, no, he's brought the whole town with them. 
You know, it's not one angel that fell. No, he brought the whole horde with him. It wasn't one Israelite that was rebelling against God and murmuring. No, no, he brought, he brought the whole crew went back with him. In the same way with Jude, it's not just one. If it was one person, you wouldn't have the letter written. This whole church is susceptible to it. Do you see that? The whole church is susceptible to it. But fear not. The Lord will defend His own. And when He does that, there will be sure and swift judgment. So let's go back to the text here. Starting verse 11. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves for the sake of gain over to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. Verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. And they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Oh, the, the, the imagery here is beautiful. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the glory, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This, this pronouncement of judgment coming here. They, what do they do? Well, they walk in the way of Cain. Cain, who was in the presence of faithful Abel, his brother, was jealous and anger. And what did he do? He killed him. Likewise, these men are killing other people's souls. And they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir. So starting in, in Numbers 22, we see Balaam, who is a, um, a non-Israelite prophet. That's how he's characterized. He was tempted by money. Tempted by money to speak ill to the people of God. To lead them astray for the sake of money and for the sake of his own gain. And eventually, he gave his life for it. In the same way, these, these false teachers, these false people within the local church are tempted by their own greed to lead others astray. Or what do they do? They perish at Korah's rebellion. Earlier in number 16, uh, remember, they're, they're wandering around here. And Korah and 250 other people rebel against Moses, the man who was designated by God to lead the people of God. And they rebel against him. Because Korah, he's, he's of the, the tribe of Levi, but he's not of a delineage of, of Aaron. So he's, he's, a, he's a Levite, he can do that, but he's not of the priestly mold. And he wants that. So he's grumbling against Moses about that. And he gets 250 are there men to come along? Are these 250 men that begin to burn incense? What they should not be doing. Irreverently taking upon something upon themselves that God has not given them. So what happens? These men, 250 men that are burning incense. Well, you want to burn incense? Fine, you can burn. God consumes them in fire. And then Korah in his rebellion, all the men that were with him, God opens up the ground, swallows him up, closes the ground. Gone. Death is swallowed up in victory. But Korah is swallowed up in death. See that God will have his own way. Be patient. Be patient. 
God will have his own way. He will bring judgment. Sometimes it's swift. Sometimes it's slow. Praise be to God, it's typically slow. Otherwise, we would all be dead. So be, be patient with others as God has been patient with you. We haven't arrived as much as though as, as we might think, right? Be patient. Be patient. But see, we see here that Cain, well, he's, he's, he's sent to wander. When everybody's beginning to settle down and create and flourish, Cain is sent to wander. Balaam is killed and Korah is swallowed up in death. And these, these men are, they're hidden reefs. I see in verse 12. You, you think you might be able to see them. Well, it should be really easy. Somebody who's greedy so much that they'd be willing to ruin their own soul and corrupt mine. Ah, not so much. Really, they're, they're, you'd think this ardent lust that would create him or her to do these horrible, despicable things. You think you'd be able to do No, you, no, you, you can't. They're hidden reefs. They come, they come to the Lord's table with you. They're not true shepherds. They just feed themselves. True shepherds lead their flocks beside flowing waters and living waters. And they're waterless clouds being sent in, sent along. They promise everything, but then they deliver nothing. They're just a wandering star. They want all of the attention. They're burning bright. And they'll flame out. It's only a matter of time. They will flame out and be cast to the reaches of darkness. So don't think that someone else can assault and assail the bride of Christ, the members of his bride, of his church, and not be judged. The nations that fought against Israel, they were judged. The Egyptians, they were judged. Those who crucified Christ, they were judged. Be patient. Know that God will bring a sure and swift judgment. So, what does it look like then? Okay, so we want to apply this to our lives, closing up here. What does this look like? Not what do I do again. When we, when we approach this, we don't say, what do I do? But we, we say, if this is true, what does it look like in my life for the Spirit of Christ to apply this and change my heart? How is my life different? Number one, you let the Lord do the work. We've, we've talked about this a little bit already. In our church, be patient with each other. We have a multitude of people in, in differing levels of spirituality. Be patient with one another. Some of you were not that long ago using hardcore drugs. And now you're just smoking pot once a month. That's pretty good. That's progress. Be patient. Be patient with one another. Some of you are closer to the celestial city than we are. Be patient with us. And beware... Listen to this. Beware of the sins of piety as you get closer to the celestial city. Do not begin to look down on your brothers and sisters who have not obtained the spiritual heights that you have. That being said, Jude's thrust and admonition for us uh, is to not stand idly by when you see your brothers and sisters Go. Know that the Lord will, Lord will change their hearts. 
but contend for the faith. Don't, don't just let your brothers and sisters go by, flow by, slip like sand through your hands into, into hell. Don't let it happen. We've seen it happen. We've seen in our church people fall away. Let us not be naive. How does this work out in the family? Um, I'll just be blunt. Wives, it is not your job to change your husbands. Take that burden off of yourself. It is the Lord who will do the work. He will change your husband. Husbands, he will change your wife in his due time. Moms and dads, you can't save your children. The Lord will do the work. You can modify the behavior, sure, if that's what you want. Good, go for it. That's that's commendable. But it is the Lord and the Lord alone that can rescue their hearts and conform them. And don't expect them to desire Christ whom they do not love. Do not expect them to cherish Christ whom they do not know. They can't do it. And you'll frustrate yourself. Just be patient and let the Lord work in them and through them. Alright, so that's number one, is let the Lord do the work. And number two, spend time looking through the depths of your heart. Go here to Matthew 26. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve there in the upper room. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. Same thing with Jude. Watch out, there are people... Amongst you who might not be what they present themselves to be. Upper room, Christ saying the same thing. One of you will betray me. What is the proper response? Here it is. And they were very sorrowful. They began to say to him, one after another, and say, Is it I, Lord? Is it I? If you have any degree of humility or brokenness in your own heart, you read something like Jude and it brings you to the place where you go, is it me? Lord, is it, is it me? Because many, we know that many on that last day will hear these final words. It'll be the last words they ever hear. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Do you not know your own sin? Are you unacquainted with the depths of your own sin? Spurgeon puts it this way. There is no water so deep. A fish will swim in it. No pond so foul, but frogs will live in it. And no mire so filthy, but swine or pigs will wallow in it. And no sin so damnable. A man... We'll commit it. If you're not crying out with anguish with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? If you're not crying out with that, you have every reason to fear. If you read Jude and start looking for other people, you've got your answer. If you read Jude, and the word is, the word, the Spirit should be working through you. To be in a place of brokenness. What is your is your anger that much different than Cain's? 
No. It was not. Is your greed, is it any less than Balaam? Absolutely not. Is your rebellion rising up in your heart? Is it any different than Korah? No. No, it's not. Spend time plumbing the depths of your own heart and then you will cry out, Wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death. But then, brothers and sisters, you will have your answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who can save us and redeem us and bring us home to glory. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have books like Jude. And we ask, one, that we would not overlook them and look for other people, but God, that it would sink deep in our hearts and that we would be not callous to our own sin, but God, that you would reveal it to us layer by layer, rebellion and greed and lust. God, reveal the depths of our own depravity to us. That it might be purged clean and washed white by the blood of your son, the true lamb. God, keep this church pure. Let us contend for the faith. Not for the sake of our church alone, but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of your glory, God. May it not be impugned and discolored, God. Let us be pure and made clean by the blood of the lamb. Amen. Amen.